Once again, we're going to talk about opposition politics this week. In our last podcast, we spoke about the economic freedom fighters. This week, it's the turn of the Democratic Alliance. It's entered the election season by starting a fight with black voters. The party is proposing a scrapping of post-apartheid redress policies, affirmative action and black economic empowerment, saying they have merely enriched politically connected individuals. That's going to go down well. The DA's position on affirmative action laws has cost its black leaders in the past and continues to paint the party as a race-based organization. Welcome to ScrollerCast, Scroller Africa's weekly podcast. I'm Jeremy Maggs, and the person who wrote that story this week is our political editor, Sukili Majova. You go on to say, picking a fight with black beneficiaries of affirmative action policies is not the right step to win back black voters. Pull the other one. I mean, that's pretty obvious, isn't it? <laughs> what are they thinking? It's a big mistake. Yeah, They do this on the eve of every election, Jeremy. I don't understand it. But look, they're under pressure with the FF Plus, And I mean, FF Plus is doing very well, you know, in, uh, uh, in, in white conservative uh, uh, voters. But that should not be the, the market of the DA. You know, the DA should really be going for the black middle class. You know, black middle class people want to see what is happening in Cape Town. You know, Cape Town resembles a winning nation. It's exactly what we want. You know, we want efficiency and all of that. We don't, people, don't, people generally don't, don't mind paying for value. You know, it, it's the issue of paying and then still have a, a pothole outside of your house that just hits your tire. That makes you very angry. So it's the DA efficiency that people want and, and, and see in the Western Cape, etc. And fortunately, it doesn't come to Tswane. As we are speaking now, they are counting votes in, in, in the Tswane Metro for the new mayor. So we'll see how that one pans out. And it's such an easy message to preach. Vote for us, we'll fix your potholes. I'm being a bit metaphorical here, yeah. but surely that's the direction they should be taking because, as you rightly say, this is potentially alienating. It's a shoot-yourself-in-the-foot strategy and particularly as the party's National Elective Congress uh, gets underway on Saturday. We are recording this podcast on a Tuesday, so by the time you listen to it, the story would have moved on. But ahead of that conference, this does have the potential to be divisive. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's such an unnecessary thing to even discuss on the eve of, of, of such an important election. Look, a lot of people agree things have not gone very well with, with, with BEE. Affirmative action is a different story uh, in terms of its application in different companies. Everyone agrees you employ black people, you employ uh, white white women and all of those things. No issues there. Where things have seriously gone wrong has been with BEE. Actually, instead of calling for the scrapping of BEE, you should be calling for the scrapping of tenders. The tender system has not worked. It hasn't, it hasn't been a good system at all. You get a very good company, they get a contract to do the road network, say in Mount Frere, and then Someone comes up and say, I'm a BE partner, I need 30%. 30% for doing nothing, and mm. they don't do nothing. So when you've done all the calculation, you must still give someone 30%. How are you going to make profits? You know, so BE really has not worked. And all of that money just goes to that particular person, connected people, as the DA is saying. It's the language, Jeremy. We, we agree on most of these things. It's the language. It's just, it just doesn't work. There, there's some level of tone deafness when it comes to the DA around these issues. So this has the potential to alienate a constituency 
that the Democratic Alliance is chasing. On the other hand, though, I guess party mandarins would turn around and say, well, we've also got to mollify, we've got to keep our base intact. People like myself, Jeremy, who graduated in the mid-2000s, are actually beneficiaries of, of these redress policies. Yeah. You know, while we may disagree, etc., but that's why I'm saying it's, it's a big problem. You know, you've got these people who agree with you now about the position that you should be taking, that the country should be taking, and then you immediately attack them on this particular issue. What do you expect? So it also is a bit of a Hail Mary issue as far as the DA is concerned. It's got to, I guess, put its flag in the sand uh, somewhere because the statistics that you've quoted in your story say that they have been losing votes in the national and provincial elections since 2014. 22.23% of the vote then, 20.7% in 2019. It is on a downward trajectory, so it's got to find that big dog whistle issue, I guess, uh, which is going to result in a reversal of that trajectory, that loss. Up to that point, Jeremy, the DA was the only party that has been growing in every single election. Obviously, that the, uh, the first time was the birth of the EFF. EFF came in at 6.3%. And in 2019, when DA moved from 22.23% to 20.7%, the EFF grew from 6.3% to 10.8%. So you can actually see, uh, literally you can see the difference. Now the, the introduction of Action SA and others also working in this pool, you, you, you got problems. And I mean, the ANC, I mean, as everyone can see, is a sitting duck coming this election. But you are not going to beat the ANC without the black middle class. Where then does this leave people like John Steenhazen and I guess Helen Ziller, who's also uh, seeking the party uh, chairmanship again? Uh, where does this leave them? Is their position secure ahead of the elective uh, process? Or are there concerns around that? I tell you why I asked the question, because there's also been talk about behind closed doors debates in front of the party members, instead of taking the issues and ventilating them more publicly. It says to me that behind that curtain, uh, there are murmurings of disquiet. Am I overreaching here? Look, the way things are going right now, Helen Zilla is going to come back. There is no one at the moment that they have who's got that kind of influence, etc., you must, you must remember, Jeremy, Helen Zille, especially with, with, with people like me, I always use myself as, as an example. There is a background of Helen Zille that, we, that people know that is very, very good. You know, uh, she was a journalist at the Mail. You know, she exposed the killing of, of, of Steve Biko and all of that. But quite interestingly, Helen Zille has got a closer name called Nonzapo. You know, so there have been times when people really, really fell in love with this lady. When we're talking about the growth of the DA over the years, uh, its contribution to, 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 to many young black political leaders, Musi Maimane, Mpopalazzi, you can count Helmut Mashaba and others. Helen Zill was at the helm. At some point she lost it, obviously. And we don't know what the hell happened there. So there, there is still that. There is still that respect for Helen Zilla. Obviously, she's going in a different direction. John Steenhazen is going to come back. KZN has already announced that they are going to support Before John Before you get to John Steenhazen, <laughs> educate the old white man about Helen Zilla's nickname in Kosa. <laughs> yeah, her name is Nonsapo. Yeah. It's a pillar of the family. It's somebody around whom a family will be, will be built. 
You know, that's what it means. It's like it's like a, so it's a, posit- and it's, a po- it's a positive nickname. Oh, it's a very positive nickname. Yeah. You know, in Kosovo, when somebody when when somebody marries into my family, we give a, a new name. So it's something like that because people gave mm. gave her that name. Like I'm telling you, she used to do very, very good work. Does John Steenhuisen have a nickname? I do not know anything about John Steenhuisen, but I've known John for over 20 years. I worked in Deben at the Mercury. He's, he's from he's from Deben North. Guys in Deben have already pronounced that they will support John. He's a local boy. So the whole of KZN is coming to conference this weekend. They will support John. Um, there are some MPs that have announced as well. At the announcement, when Mpopalat was making an announcement to run for this, uh, to become a candidate as well, I didn't see councillors. I don't. I didn't see people from Ekurene, Tswane, Johannesburg who would be backing up in that announcement. Because when you make an announcement like that, you need to have people behind you, and and then it sort of intimidates everyone, gives everyone an impression that this person's got support. She doesn't really have that support. But she has a voice, and she oh, has she, to. She has to be listened to. Oh, she has a voice. She's very, she's very good. Actually, we wrote a very interesting piece long before this on the fourth of February saying that Mpopalats must not, must not waste her time fighting John, John Stenhazen for a position that doesn't really have power. You know, uh, Helen Zilla still runs the DA. You know, John Stenhazen is just out there making noise and all of that. But that position doesn't really have power. Where should Mpopalats go? She should position herself as a possible premier candidate for Gauteng. Because at the end of the day, the coalition in Gauteng will need somebody who's very strong, somebody who has a record and reputation to become its premier candidate. And who knows the province. And who knows and the she, province. And she was in the and, Johannesburg hot seat, wasn't And she? that's what she can do. The only person I can see going toe-to-toe with her on that particular one as premier candidate for the coalition is Herman Mashaba. And both of these people are former mayors of Johannesburg with good reputation. So John Steenhuisen is a shoo-in as far as the party leadership is concerned, but any uh, investor wants a return on investment and he has to deliver come the election next year. He's got to demonstrate that he was worth the investment that the members made in him. Uh, He's got a tough mountain to climb ahead of the election next year, surely. What does he need to do? Jeremy, they've taken a very difficult position, unfortunately, and I hate getting into race politics, but... They have already gotten into race politics, so let's get into race politics. When Helen Zilli was there, running, running the party at, at her best, the DA had many, many black mayors. Wherever it was governed, they had black mayors. Look at what's happening today. The mayor of Cape Town is white. I'm, I'm just going to go with the metros. Cape Town is white. Uh, they've got uh, uh, Nelson Mandela paid Kabeha. They've put in a white candidate there. They've got Ekuruleni. Mayor Campbell is white. Uh, now in Tswane, they've uh, forwarded Silius, who's, who's also white. You know, so you start looking at the top. Again, when you look at the, at the actual membership of the DA, it's, it's one-third white, one-third black, one-third Asian and, and, Asian and colored, so Indians and colored. But at the very top, at the face of it, going into this election, going into rallies, going to town by town, you've got, you've got that face of the DA in front of you. It's not going to work very well. And what fascinates me is that this, because of the ANC's weakness going into the election next year, this, uh, this is almost an election for the opposition uh, collectively to take away from them to really strengthen their position, yet they don't seem to be doing that. Uh, Scroller writing an interesting piece this week that's saying, collectively, the opposition in this country is failing its citizens because there is nothing 
particularly new or cohesive that is emerging from any of their ranks? Jeremy, it's disturbing. If you look at Joburg, ANC has got less than 34% of the, of the vote <clears throat> in Joburg, but they were able to take to wrestle control of Joburg away from the opposition. The opposition had about 66% of the vote in Joburg, but they lost Joburg because they're not working together. Everything that is happening in, in, in Tswane, Jeremy, it's, it's the opposition on their own. Cope this week, fake signatures that other week. It's the opposition. So what is it? Is it, is, it, is, it, is it a lack of, is it just hubris? Is it a lack of political maturity? Uh, is it the, not, the, the, the wrong people that are in those positions, a combination of all three? Uh, because I'll make the point again. There's such an opportunity this time around to exploit the weakness of the ruling party. There has to be some kind of patience, Jeremy, which there isn't at the moment. Somebody comes in and realizes, I'm an ordinary counsel, I'll be earning 25,000 rand. But if I play my cards right, I could be earning 60,000, 70,000 rand a month. You know, and they start playing their cards right. Actually, this thing is only working for those guys who've got two seats in the party because it jams. In, in most hung municipalities, you're just running short of two seats to run the party. And that's it. Imagine that's happening at provin a provincial level. So even if Gauteng looks like it's going to fall, ANC in 2019, they won it by 50.09%. It looks like it's going to fall this time around. But will the ANC lose power in Gauteng? That's a different story altogether. So it's the same old narrative that we know all the time. It's about uh, the politics of self-enrichment. And it doesn't matter whether you're with the ANC or whatever other party the reality is that is what is motivating you. Until we get over that particular mindset, uh, we are going to be mired in this mess all the time, and it's the likes of you and I and the voters in South Africa that continue to pay the price and to suffer because of a lack of service delivery. It is a shameful state of affairs. Jeremy, you hit the nail on the, on the head. I mean, how do you explain the EFF working with the ANC after what it has done, after all the things that they have said, an active campaign of, to bring down the president of the ANC? But come 2024, the ANC knows it will need that 10% to 15% of whatever the EFF is likely to get. Even if they fall to 45%, when you've got these guys on board, you will, you will rule Gauteng again. And the ANC, they cannot afford to lose Gauteng. So let's just close the loop on the, uh, the DA elective conference. Um, are there any other surprises that are likely to emerge? Or, having attended a couple of these things myself in the past, they are very well scripted, uh, they are very well produced, they run on time, and generally everybody seems to know what is going to emerge at the other end. Uh, it's classic political theatre, isn't it? Even if they had somebody who was wanted to, to rock the boat, it, it, this would not be the right time to do it. You know, um, one of the problems that we've got in the ANC is that they are always fighting among each other and all of that. The DA, in terms of leadership at the top, has been stable for a while. It needs to continue to be stable going into this election with all the weaknesses that I've pointed out, but they remain a very stable party. Let's look at a couple of other things before we end this conversation. Um, the president has been in Port St. John's uh, this past week, um, looking at the flooding damage or flood damage that, uh, that has wreaked havoc. Um, again, the kind of thing that we would expect from the president but uh, the lack of infrastructure there, uh, poor service delivery has resulted in terrible consequences, not only there, but up and down the eastern seaboard. Um, what has the president been saying? What does he hope to achieve from something like that? He's down there right now, actually, Jeremy. There were floods before, two weeks ago. Then there were floods again from Thursday night, just heavy downpours. 
They affected Port St. John's, all the tourism towns, really. Port St. John's, Coffee Bay, Hole in the Wall, all those nice, beautiful places that you want to access. Get out of Joburg and just get into the countryside. Very nice places. It's very difficult to access them now. And all of it, almost in every municipality, Jeremy, is about people get contracts to maintain the roads, to maintain the stormwater drains, and they just sit, go and get a 4 by 4 and don't do the job. The rains come in, block the, block the drains, nothing gets done. So in, in the case of Port St. John's, the, the, the town was flooded, Jeremy, within hours. Within hours, it was already in trouble. People, people went to the shops. When they, when they got out, they couldn't get to their cars. They were already flooded. They left them there. And talking about uh, getting into your car and uh, driving, and again, we are recording this uh, with not too long to go before the Easter break, uh, all very well to get into your car, but uh, more difficult and more dangerous if you want to get into an intercape bus. That's what it got me very, very angry. Very, I was right when I read it myself. Yeah. Very, very unfortunate. This is one of the most reliable buses at the moment in the country. Before COVID, we had Greyhound, you know, and then they went under because of COVID, as many companies were going under. Intercape continued. They go all over the country. They go to places like the Eastern Cape. It's a reliable link. Remember, when our parents were around, there was a train from Eastern Cape to Joburg. So there is no such. You know how many people from the Eastern Cape work in the mines in this region and the Northwest region? Everybody is relying on this transport network. And somehow, our government has allowed Sagar in the taxi industry to sort of sabotage this, this, this business and put people's lives in danger. There is actually a, a high court order instructing the minister to protect these buses against this staggering. But nothing has been happening. They are still getting attacked. We are leaving for home next week, with, along with many, many people, thousands of people, you know, and, and, and this kind of thuggery is back. It puts people's lives in danger. It's just a big concern, Jeremy. And I think that's where we are going to leave it for this week. Uh, that is uh, our scroller cast. As always, thank you for listening. Uh, just a reminder that uh, Toby Shapshak is our executive producer. Hans Baumgarten is our sound engineer. If you liked this conversation, if we made you happy, sad, angry, anywhere on the continuum, let us know, rate us wherever you get your podcasts. And there is always more daily updated content on scroller.africa. So Kili Majova, thank you very much indeed. I'm Jeremy Maggs. Goodbye. Thanks for listening.